This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Today we come to section 8 of the One Story Reading Plan. Now, the point of reading the Bible this way is to see that all of these stories are linked in one great epic of history pointing us to the main character, the Lord Jesus Christ, the central focus of all of history. Let me encourage you as we begin this book to watch the video at the beginning of the section. The author does a great job helping you understand how this book fits in the storyline of the Bible. Now, I'll link the video to the notes from today's podcast. And as we begin the book of 1 Samuel, it begins with genuine heartache, doesn't it? I mean, it's a a pain that's all too familiar with too many women today. It's the story of Hannah and her infertility. And yet, in the throes of this tragedy... We learn some instructive things about God's plan and how to come to grips with it in our life. The sorrow turns to joy as God uses one woman's pain to move the story one step closer to the one who will reconcile all the tragedy of our experience. On today's podcast, we'll understand, seek to understand her pain and rejoice in God's grace to her. I'm looking particularly at verses 15 through 18 of 1 Samuel chapter 1 today. No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Now, don't think of me as a a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depths of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. And then Hannah went on her way and she ate and no longer looked despondent. As 1 Samuel opens, we meet a man named Elkanah. Elkanah has two wives, Penina and Hannah. Now, a cultural understanding of how this society worked and how it viewed women is critical to understanding this story in its fullness. You see, Jewish culture and people surrounding it regarded the passing on of the family line as the most important thing. All the heritage and inheritance and the land of the family Name, they were all passed down through the lineage, and a very high priority was placed on this. This was often the reason why men had multiple wives, to uh, have as many children as possible to pass on the lineage of their family. And consequently, women were viewed with little value save for their ability to have children. Now, this is a tragic misunderstanding of the worth of women, and yet, In this culture, their worth was found solely in their ability to have children, to pass on the family name and the family line. Now, when we understand this, we can empathize with the desperate grief of Hannah's barrenness. Chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that Elkanah's wife would taunt her and provoke her because of her barrenness and her inability to have children. 
The text is clear, however, that the Lord is the one who kept her from conceiving. God is the one who gives the miracle of conception and withholds it for his own purposes. Elkanah's compassion here for his wife is somewhat out of step with society in these verses, and it's proof that he does indeed love his wife. Most husbands would scorn their wives if they were unable to conceive, and yet uh, Elkanah does his best in these moments to honor his wife and to demonstrate his love for her. Even still, Hannah is filled with grief over her barrenness, and she pours out her heart to the Lord. In her desperation, she carries her grief to God, and she promises that she will give the boy back to the Lord if he, if he will just give her a son. Now, this is a promise that we'll learn in a few chapters that she will indeed keep. As she's praying, Eli, the priest of God, misinterprets her grief for drunkenness amid her passionate pleas to God. He interrupts her and basically chides her for her public intoxication. But instead of getting upset for being judged by the man of God, Hannah actually explains to Eli that she's not drunk. She's grieving and pouring her grief out to the Lord. Now, Eli's response to her grief is significant. He responds, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request that you've made of him. Eli's wish came true for Hannah, and God did indeed answer her prayer with a beautiful, incredible son. The boy would grow strong in the Lord and be used dramatically in Israel. And out of her greatest pain comes one of Israel's most outstanding leaders. Chapter 2, verse 35 reads that he would raise up, that God would raise up a faithful priest for himself. And this priest would do whatever was in the Lord's heart and mind. The Lord promised to establish a lasting dynasty for Hannah's son, and that he would walk before my anointed one for all time. Her son Samuel's imprint on Israel could not be more important, for he would indeed be the one who would walk before, quote, my anointed one. That's King David for all time. He would even be the one that would indeed stand there and anoint Jesse's son as the greatest king of Israel. So what do we learn from Hannah's story? Well, the story has to inform how we view conception, doesn't it? A life in the womb, motherhood, and the grief and depression of would-be mothers. All of this is wrapped up in this story. You see, God is the one who brings conception, and he's the one who withholds it. It is God and God alone that does this. This has to inform our view of when life begins and the abortion debate. You see, God is the one who brings about life inside the womb of a mother, and he's the one who chooses to withhold it. The text is clear that God kept Hannah from conceiving until she prayed in desperation to God. When she did pray for a son, God granted her request and allowed her to conceive. This means that if a woman conceives, it is God who is allowing it. Therefore, even in the unfortunate case of a rape 
or of the mother's life, as complex and rare as that situation is, we have to have the faith that God is the one who allowed this with full knowledge of this situation. Therefore, we must not allow our determinative view of the situation to abolish God's plans at that moment. God alone is the one who, in his grace and wisdom, has allowed for each child to be born, for each child to be conceived, for each situation to occur. And he and he alone knows the plans for that child. We do not have the right to alter those plans just for our convenience sake. This selfishness stands in the place of God and makes us make decisions without the providential knowledge of God. A second and related understanding to this is that if there is barrenness or an inability to conceive, as hard as this is to understand, this too is the work of God. This is a complicated truth to understand, to be sure. I mean, I know of so many women today who would be beautiful, incredible moms, who for whatever reason, God had chosen in this season of their life not to give them the children that they so desperately desire. This can, of course, cause grief and deep depression. I'm sure it would be easy at this moment for women to blame themselves or even grow bitter at God. Still, we must remember that God is the one who brings conception and withholds it for his own divine purposes. And we have to come to the grips with the understanding that his ways are right and good. Now, I would hasten to add that these women need to be shown the same kind of compassion in their grief in these moments that Elkanah offered his wife Hannah. Rather than being upset with her, with his wife for her grief, rather than being frustrated with her, he entered into her grief with her and wept with her. Even though he may not have fully understood, he showed her the grace and compassion necessary by granting her special favor and care during the sacrifices. And we must do the same. A related understanding here is that we must guard ourselves against misunderstanding or judging the grief that we may not fully understand in them, as Eli did. We have to be careful not to misjudge their grief, but instead show understanding. It would be easy for us to be as insensitive as Eli was to their suffering because we may not completely understand it fully. It may be foreign to us, but we must show them compassion and sympathize with them. Once Eli fully understood the nature of her grief and the depth of her anguish, he responds rightly by praying for her. He says, go in peace and may the Lord God of Israel grant the request that you've made of him. Interestingly, Eli calls the Lord the God of Israel here. It's almost as if he has in view the God who makes good on promises to people who are unable to have children. Remember, this very nation is rooted in a commitment God made to a man and a woman who were well beyond childbearing years. You see, God can do anything. Eli has this in view, including speaking life to a dead womb. It is to this God and this promise that Eli appeals. But what is most important here is that Eli tells her to go in peace. 
This is how we should apply these verses. We have to pray for God's peace to rest on would-be mothers who are walking in this type of grief. We have to show them compassion and pray for them and love them during this grief and intercede with them for God to grant them peace in the wake of God's choice not to bring children into their life at this time. For that is indeed what is most important in this moment. It's the peace that is necessary here. We can pray for this peace, that God in his wisdom and grace would grant them this peace to be at rest with the decision he has made for their lives at this moment. We can stand in intercession for them in this and love and show compassion and try to appreciate the grief that they bear. We have to guard ourselves against viewing their grief as petty or trite or misunderstanding or misjudging their pain. Instead, we have to pray for their peace and show them the grace that Eli showed Hannah at that moment in the hopes that God in his time would grant their request to have a child as he did Hannah's. So God, as we come to you today, we pray that you would give us the grace to understand and embrace would-be mothers who carry this grief. I pray today for their peace. I pray that you would show them your grace and love today. I pray that you would comfort them, help them trust your wisdom in their lives at this moment, and guard them against the bitterness and depression that could come in this season. Grant their desires in your time as you see fit, but most of all, grant them the peace that only you can give the one whose heart is hidden in you. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.